you could tell someone some, uh, some keys, some steps, some practices to maintain mental health, spiritual health, emotional health. All three, one of those, uh, we've, we said that they're, they're, they're tied together. What, will, what would just be some things that, that you found helpful and that you, you counsel people on? I still find that it's very important from a Christian perspective to start um, your day with Jesus as your first appointment and making him um, your priority when you wake up in the morning because he is the source of all wisdom, knowledge, insight, and understanding. And so he may give you specific instructions for how to manage anxiety or depression. Go to this person, talk to this person. I I think that um, a healthy lifestyle, you know, can create a healthier mindset. So starting your day with the Lord, maybe a better diet, maybe good rest, maybe some exercise, uh, you know, a praise walk, you know, where you just walk and think about positive things and listen to praise and worship or whatever kind of music you like. I just think a healthy lifestyle helps you have a healthier mind. One of the greatest things is having a routine in the morning and in the evening to help me get up and start my day, having certain things that I do before I get out of bed, as soon as I get out of bed, and the last thing at night, right before I get in bed. So especially some of those, there's these great uh, meditation books that have just a quick devotional in there um, to read that first off when I wake up, to read some scripture first off, uh, just before my feet hit the floor, just to say a prayer and read something really briefly, even if it's just for a few minutes. That really changes, even just those five minutes, really changes the rest of the day. It was uh, fall 2007, and my wife Emily and I had just gone to a football game with some very dear friends of ours. And um, Emily, at the time, was about two to two and a half months pregnant with our third son, Walker. And it was a long game, and we were starving, and we were looking for a McDonald's because McDonald's fries were one of the things she was craving during this pregnancy. And these are things I don't understand, but some of you understand. And um, so this is 2007. Now, listen, for the young folks in the room, the iPhone came out in 2007. So this was like this crazy world where we actually looked for road signs. Like we didn't look on our phone like where the next McDonald's was. So we're looking around, right, for those magical glowing golden arches. And we're kind of kind of like having a discussion. And we come up on an exit, and there's some golden arches. And my, my buddy who was driving uh, kind of makes a comment like, oh, there's one. Do you all want to stop at this one? Or do you want you know, you to keep going and go, go a little bit farther? And my sweet southern wife becomes nigh unto possessed, nearly grabs the steering wheel, and she's like, yes, get off on this exit. We're like, you know, you been there? Right? She wasn't just hungry. Pregnant hungry is a different kind of hungry that I don't understand. She might have been a little hangry. And we've all had experiences where we are tired and it makes us emotionally do things where we are hungry and we, we, we do something that we say something maybe we didn't mean to say exactly the way that we should have said it. We've, we've all had experiences like that where, where some kind of physical attribute impacts our spiritual, emotional, or mental 
state. And, and one of the things that we can't get away from in this series, which is called The Unseen Me, talking about mental, spiritual, and emotional health, and this conversation that we want to have in the church that is often is not had enough in the big C church. But the one thing we can't get, a, get away from is this unseen me, the real you inside of you, is still embodied. Right? You, you still live in a body. I still live in a body. And by the time we're done today, we're going to see that our bodies and our minds are linked together. Our unseen me is uniquely tied to our seen me. And, and I believe God wants to use both of them for his glory if we will learn to surrender them to him. Well, Good morning, my name is Carter McInnes, I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and it's just such an honor for you to be here. Uh, thanks for joining in, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, I'm grateful to be with you. One of the, one of the guys that I've listened to a lot, that I've read uh, a few of his books and listened to several podcasts, kind of a, uh, I would say a Christian expert in this area, is a guy named Ian Morgan Cron. He is an Episcopal priest and an author, but also a psychotherapist. So he is just a, a really brilliant guy that brings a, a faith perspective into this space. And because of his occupation, because of kind of his, his, uh, his status, he's, he's friends with a lot of pastors and a lot of people in ministry. And so they're like the first guy that he calls when they're having problems, right? When they're when, when they call him and they're struggling with their mental health, they're struggling with some anxiety, they're feeling depressed, and they call him. And he says, of course, there, there are oftentimes deeper issues, there, and there, there are some deep-rooted things going on. But he says, before he does anything, he asks three questions. He says, I always ask this. Number one, have you slept? Like, have you slept, or are you getting a good, solid eight hours a night? Or are you you know, going to bed late. Are you eating healthy and drinking plenty of water? Like, are you, are you just drinking a lot of soft drinks? Are you not paying attention to that? And the third question he asks is, have you exercised? Like, when's the last time you took a walk? When's the last time you went for a swim? And, and, and he says, he says that the, inevitably the answer is always, no. No, I, you know, I've been, I've been staying up late. No, I, I've been, I, I don't remember the last time I had a vegetable. No, the potato chips count, right? No, I've been lazy and I've just been so busy. I just hadn't been able to exercise. The answer is just always no. But in this series, in this, in this, as we're talking about these, these points of our faith, this spiritual health, our, our heart and our emotional health, this, uh, this, this heart feeling thing, and our mental health, our minds, all these things that no one sees that are kind of different, that kind of touch in the middle, that kind of make up the real you inside of you and it make up the real me inside of me, we can't get away from the fact that they are in our bodies and our bodies impact that unseen 
me. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul lean into this. And here's the scary thing. We're learning the opposite of this is true too. This past May, the Surgeon General of the United States released a report that they have found that widespread loneliness and the corresponding anxiety and depression that comes with us, comes with it, has the same effect on our bodies as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. A day. And so, that's why the church has to speak into this. This is an issue that just impacts all of who we are. Our bodies affect our minds, our unseen me, our minds, our spirits and emotions affect our bodies too. It's, it's why this is so important. And this is where I keep kind of throwing out this, this disclaimer in this series. We're going to look at how spiritual health can impact all the rest of it, but it's not the only thing. There are real chemical imbalances. There are real physiological factors that impact our psychology. And part of this series is to just open you up, open us up to, to those realities, to get you some resources, to show you some mental health experts in our church, to to make a statement that our church is going to be a church that says, hey, you know, I think this quote was from last week, we might need therapy and Jesus, and that's okay. Like Jesus might work in the midst of therapy too. Like Jesus might work in the midst of medicine too. Jesus works, we believe Jesus works in the church, and Jesus works in, in, through the medical field as well, so all of that. But that's not to say that our spiritual part of us, our spiritual health has zero impact because after all, we believe in a supernatural God who knows our bodies and our minds better than anybody else because he created them. So what does he have to say about this? So we're going to look at this passage in the book of Romans. Now you could probably guess the book of Romans was written to a church in where? Rome, you got it, in Rome. But the, Romans is a unique book because the Apostle Paul wrote all kinds of letters to all kinds of churches, and much of the New Testament is filled with his letters to churches. But Romans is the only letter to a church that Paul wrote in the New Testament that was written to a church of which he was not the founding pastor. Galatia, you know, uh, Ephesians, uh, uh, First and Second Thessalonians, he started those churches. He planted them, pastored them for a while, traveled on, went and planted others. Not Rome. He'd never even been to Rome. Never met a single person in the church. But he was still coaching them. He was still sort of their bishop, their overseer. And he was giving them spiritual directions. It is a theologically rich book. Some theologians, in fact, say that it is the most important Christian document ever written. Because so much of our theology of understanding who Christ is, what Christ has done on our behalf, who we are in Christ, so much of that comes from the book of Romans. It's so good. There's a big chunk of Romans that has dealt with this kind of theological teaching about explaining the difference between uh, how I, we are saved by this grace God has given us and our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus as the center point of our faith and how this center point puts Jews who grew up following Jewish law and Gentiles who didn't even know what the Jewish law was, never even heard of them, but Jesus puts us all on level ground. And Romans makes so much of that so clear. 
But in chapter 12, he kind of he makes a turn. He goes from so much of the, the thick theology instead in, in trying to explain to the Romans how they are to live everyday life, how, how, to, how to practically live as a Christian who believes all these things about Jesus. And if there was any group of Christians that needed to learn how to practically live as followers of Jesus in their community, it was Romans who lived in the very epicenter of secular thought, the capital of the Roman Empire. If anybody needed to know how to follow Jesus in a secular world, it was Romans. It was Roman Christians. And so Paul says, this direction to them as he's teaching this group of Christians, some of which were Jewish and some of which were Gentile, and the Jews had followed the festivals, the sacrificial kind of routine of Jewish seasons. It had defined their lives, and now they were into this new relationship with Jesus, and Paul says, you have a new way of being in the world. You have something else now that directs you. So this is what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And if you're at home watching along or you're here, you want to open your Bibles there to Romans 12, 1. We're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter there. And if you're in the room and don't have a Bible, take one at the bookshelf when you leave. If you're, if you're watching along at home and you got your Bible there, we're in Romans 12. This is what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is, listen, much of the, many of the people reading this, they had offered sacrifices as part of their religious lives for their entire lives. They'd sacrificed doves, goats. This is what you did. This is how you practiced your religious faith. You went at the particular festivals, at the particular seasons, and you offered a sacrifice. And now we have Jesus, who is this sacrifice for us. We no longer need those sacrifices. He is the, the perfect Lamb of God, slain for the sin of the world. And they're like, what do, we, you know, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? How do we order our lives now? He says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. You don't sacrifice beasts and birds now. You sacrifice your body. And this is a living sacrifice. Every moment of every day becomes a sacramental opportunity for you and I to offer our body to God. And when you do it, it's just as much as an act of worship as you logging on this morning or you walking in these doors. Every moment of every day that you offer to God your body as an act of worship. Eating healthy is worship. Going for a walk is worship. Taking a nap, come on, church, come on, is worship. I took a 12-minute nap this week, and I sang a hallelujah afterwards. <laughs> it was great. And I was just like, Lord, I can't think straight. I just, I'm tired. I and I just took a 12-minute nap, and it was amazing what, what happened. Uh, 
not putting something in my body that I know God doesn't want me to or not doing something with my body that I know God doesn't want me to, it's an act of worship. This flesh and bone, this flesh and bone is meant to worship God because it houses this unseen, eternal me. We can't separate them. And it is connected to the unseen me, this flesh and bone, in ways that we, we can't fully understand. Let's see what Paul says after this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul starts talking about our body, and this conversation leads Paul to start talking about our minds. We can all see our bodies. We can, know, we can tell what we do with our bodies, but then he talks about our minds. And he, he has these two contrasting ideas of what we would call formation, right, of the things that are the ways we are being formed. Right? Did you catch them in there? There are two thoughts, right? You can conform you can conform to this world, to the way this world says things should be, or be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The problem is that we are at an inherent disadvantage because our bodies live in this world, right? We're at an inherent disadvantage because though we believe that our unseen me is attached to another world. Our unseen me, we are connected in spirit to our heavenly Father. Like we've got heaven living in us. We believe that. What do we say? I've got Jesus living in my heart. What does that mean? That we believe God's eternal, infinite spirit lives inside of us. But I've got a problem. My body lives in Birmingham. Right? Like I can't get away from the fact that though I'm connected to this eternal world, that my body, your body, is right here, and all of us have this gravitational pull to conforming to this world. And hear me out on this. I am not, I am not, and if you've heard me at all, or if this is your first time, I'm not an anti-this-world guy. I'm not an anti-this-world God. I, I, I believe God wants to redeem this world. God created this world. I believe God's going to make a new world one day. Right, so I'm not an anti-this-world guy, but come on, listen. This world can make a lot of money off you and me if we will be conformed to it. I mean, the algorithms are designed to conform you. People who bought that also bought this. It's literally saying, because you bought that, conform to what everybody else did that bought that and buy this. It's literally saying that. Or you might also like, or suggested for you. How, why do you know me that well, right? Because we have taken people like you and we have seen how they conformed and what they liked and what they did. It is literally saying conform, 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 conform. And the problem with all of that, the problem with all that isn't that you might buy something else on Amazon. Though that might be a problem. That's a different thing. Um, the problem is that some of the messages of this world that it wants us to conform us to is not healthy. 
spiritually, mentally, or emotionally. And Paul's going to talk more about this in a minute, but conforming to the world will convince you that you've got to do this to be somebody, wear this to be somebody, drive this to be somebody, to do something to be somebody, and you can get in some really dark places if you think you have to conform to something to be somebody. And let me just say a word here. I just, let me just say a word here to teenagers and to college students. Because you have grown up in a world with these things in your face. And we didn't. We were born before 2007, right? Or came of age before then. But you've grown up in this world where ever since you were 10, 11, 12 years old, you've had one of those, and there's all these messages telling you about what you got to do, what you got to do to be somebody. None of it's true. None of it's true. And here's what I love about what Paul is saying. You didn't get here overnight, and you probably won't get out of it overnight. In fact, do you remember what Paul said? Do not be conformed. How'd you get here? To the what? You remember the word? Pattern. You probably didn't make like one terrible decision. You just dipped your toe in and then you dipped that same toe in the same place the next day. And it just became a pattern, and you didn't even know it, and you just all of a sudden got in it. It's a repetition of behaviors or input or relationship that constantly reinforced the world's sense of reality that would have you think that there's not really an unseen world or, or, or there's not really a spiritual element to the unseen you. It's, I mean, it's just sending you totally different messages. Let me just give you an example of this pattern, and this is just something funny that I just thought about like when I just stuck about patterns. Because I actually get mine. I don't know why this is timed this way, but I think it's the Holy Spirit convicting me. I get mine during the 915 service every Sunday morning. I don't know why my phone is on that, but this is what I get. Do you get one of these? Your weekly report, screen time. Does anybody else get it during the 915 service? What is Jesus doing to us? I don't, there's something about that. I don't know how Jesus is working with the people in, at Apple, but it's, it's working. It's all that's saying is it's a pattern. You actually, have a, you actually have an announcement on your phone that say, hey, like, here was your pattern this week. Is it up? Is it down? And, I mean, I'm just going to guess that it wasn't all, like, YouTube worship videos, streaming sermons, and, and the Bible app. If it is, like, make it go up every week, baby. I mean, it might have been some messages, some content that might not be healthy or helpful. What is my pattern of what I'm reading? What is my pattern of what I'm listening to? What is my pattern, teenagers, college students, adults, of the people I'm hanging around and surrounding myself with? What is your pattern? You, we got there through a pattern. Probably have to get out through a pattern. It's, it's conforming our mind. And Paul says, listen to what he says. Do not conform to the pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love this word for renewing in the Greek. It is in a tense that it's only written this way two times in the Bible. It, it's in an ongoing tense. It's a constant renewing. It, it's an ongoing, never-ending renovation. 
I, when, I thought about, when I thought about this way, does anybody remember the show Murphy Brown? Anybody remember Murphy Brown? So if, you, if you're young, it's this, it's this show. Um, and uh, she was this news reporter, and she, was, she had a lot of, she had this really beautiful house. But there was a character on that show named Elvin. Does anybody know, remember what Elvin was? Elvin was her painter. He literally painted for like 10 years on the show. He's like painting the trim the whole time. And you're like, is he ever done with this house? But he was just constantly, it was an ongoing renovation. And what Paul is saying is that if you want to have your mind renewed, if I want to have my mind renewed, we have to just have this ongoing renovation. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, great pastor, great author. He, he, he left to be with Jesus a, a few years ago. Just an incredible saint. Uh, it's, a, it's an influential in my life. He used to say it this way. It's just long obedience in the same direction. Like you won't get like one quick fix and get your mind renewed. It is long obedience in the same direction. This is about daily Bible reading. This is about committing to the fellowship. This is about prayer. This is about getting a prayer journal. This is about being a part of a Bible study. This is about worship. This is why I believe that coming to church is so important because I believe that there's a pattern and God begins to renew our minds. And you probably will not look back on your life and say that one sermon or that one service or that one song they sang changed my life. You will probably say, man, I was just formed by the praises of God's people, by the proclamation of his word, by the prayers of his people, by the fellowship of encouragement every Sunday morning. You do that, try that on for 30 years and see what it does to you. It just forms us. And you, you won't always like it. I don't always like it. I, let me confess something to you. I'm not a morning person. I hate getting up early. I hate setting an alarm. I hate it. I hate it. Lord, I just confess it to you. I do not. If I had my way, I would never set an alarm. I like to stay up late, watch ball games, watch, you know, you know, watch uh, Jimmy Fallon. That's what I want to do. But I set my alarm for 5.15 every morning during the weekday because here's what I have found. If I do not create a pattern of me digging into his word, digging into prayer, digging into my journal, then I am not the man that I want to be in Christ. I'm not the husband. I'm not the father. I'm not the pastor. I'm not the leader. And I can't tell you a single devotion at 5.30, sitting in my chair with my coffee, that has changed my life. But I can tell you that it's changed my life doing it a hundred times. You won't always like it. It's not always easy. It's not a magic bullet. It's the repetition to, to, to have the pattern. And here's why Paul says this is so important. Here's why Paul says this is so important. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you and I are conformed to this world, we can't really tell what's real, what's right, what's true. Only the transformed mind can. So when I get a message, if I have been transformed and I see something online... If I have been transformed, if I have put the time into the patterns of holiness to being constantly renewed, I'm able to get a message and go, that's not true. 
That's not God's will. That's not what God says. When I have a thought, a negative thought about myself, when I begin to get down about myself, the transformed mind, the renewed mind, I'm able to say to myself, that's not really true. When, I'm te- when, when I have bad self-talk and I'm like, I'm just hopeless, I'm broken, I'm so messed up, you know what? The transformed mind says, no, that's not what God says about you. I'm able to test that thought and I'm able to remind myself, I am chosen, I am free, I am loved, I am redeemed, I am His. I have a renewed mind. Get out of that. Get out of their conformed mind. It's so important. And Paul says the reason he wants us to get this right is that there is something in you that is unique to you that was made for the rest of us. And there's something in me that's unique to me that's made for the rest of us. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, Paul is not just saying here that the world doesn't revolve around you. He's saying don't play the comparison game. Conforming to this world literally means that we compare ourselves to all the others. And this is where teens are probably struggling more than anywhere else with social media because you can see every party that you weren't invited to, that every friend is at. We see people that we don't know and we're jealous of them. A good friend of mine reminded me that social media is a billboard, not a diary. Like nobody puts their diary on social media, they put their advertisements. But it's so easy to look on that and play the comparison game. And if you play the comparison game and you compare yourself to others, you either end up a narcissist because you think you're better than everybody else, right? Or, or you get depressed because you feel like you don't measure up to everybody else. Neither are healthy. There is no comparison in the kingdom. Instead, Paul says you were meant to be incomparable. There's something in you that can't be compared to anybody else. Listen to how he says it. For just... As each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Just like that, you don't have the same function. So when you look at social media and you're conformed to this world and you're comparing yourself to somebody else, I mean, that makes no sense. That's like comparing a hand to a toe. It doesn't even make any sense. you got a different function. So in Christ, though we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We, the world will tell you to conform to the patterns, but it will mess you up to compare yourself. There is something different about you by design, by your designer. Listen to what he says. We have, would you say this with me? Different gifts. You're literally meant to not conform. You're literally created by your creator to not conform. You're literally created by your creator to be different than everyone else. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift, and then I love this, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You just 
do it. If whatever your gift is, you do it with everything you've got because if you will have your mind transformed, if you will see yourself not in comparison to the world around you, but see yourself as how God made you and how God created you, he wants to use what he put in you for his glory in the world. And this is the way I say it. God wants to renew your mind to release your genius. There's something in you that is only in you that God needs to get out of you for the rest of us. And it's different than everybody else. And we can play the comparison game and it never works. This is why God wants your mind to be transformed and not conformed. And if you try to do what everybody else is gifted to do, then we won't get to see who you were meant to be. The world needs who you, you, were created to be. Teenagers, look here. You don't have to look at somebody else and be like, why don't why I'm not as cool as them, as talented as them, as sporty as them, as smart as them. The world needs who you, you were created to be. And if you try to be somebody else, the world will miss out on what God created you to do and who he created you to be. I'm not a mental health expert. And there's so much in this space that's so important that we need skilled professionals for. But I believe this with all my heart. You and I will not be as spiritually, not be as emotionally and mentally as healthy as we can be until I am spiritually healthy enough to have a mind renewed by Christ to remind me who I am and who he has called me to be. Because this thing, and all the messages on all our screens, and all the comparison we do, and all the conforming we do, cannot tell you who you really are. In Christ, he calls me his son. In Christ, he calls you his son and daughter. In Christ, he calls you chosen. In Christ, he calls you called. In Christ, he calls you redeemed. In Christ, he calls something out of you to be used for his glory so that you will be fulfill your purpose in the world. That's what he wants out of you. He wants to renew your mind to release your genius. And you cannot be who you were called to be. You cannot do what you were called to do. You cannot find your purpose conformed to this world. It will just try to make you like everybody else. And he made you <laughs> to be exactly like nobody else. Well, except one. Because you were made in his image. And if we don't get your genius out of your renewed mind, well, then the rest of us miss out on seeing a little bit of the image of God that is only found in the unseen. And I don't know about you, but I want to see all of God. And I can't see all of him. We can't see all of him until we see all of him in all of us. It's really two questions I just want to leave you with this week. What are you going to do?
to offer your body as a living sacrifice. I don't know what that means. Might mean take a nap, eat a little healthier, go for a walk, go for a swim, go for a run. What are you going to do? And what patterns are you going to start this week to renew your mind? Because we can get all emotional in this room, but the rubber meets the road. Not on Sunday. Rubber meets the road on Monday.